Please open your Bibles again at Deuteronomy chapter 8. <coughs> uh, last week we were opening up the, the subject of remembering uh, Jesus' command to a church which is in need of renewing. And I'm sure all of us would, would long that the Lord would renew us individually and collectively. His command is to remember the past, repent of the fact that they have moved from their first love and recover the things they did at the first. Uh, in the evening we noted uh, a comment of a well-known Old Testament scholar who said that uh, biblical religion is largely remembering God's works. And as we opened up the theme last time, we were thinking of remembering our first love to God. Our first love. And we noted that in those days when we began to follow Jesus, our times with the Lord were marked, were they not, by a sense of being utterly dependent on him. And an anxiety lest we be broken off in fellowship. Uh, thinking of when we might be able to be strengthened in, in prayer as we seek uh, a place on our own to commune with God. God always loomed large in our thinking because we were conscious of how much in need we were of him. However, as time goes on, that dependency on God can diminish. And as, it, as we become less aware of our dependency of God, so our, our intimacy with God, our fellowship with God, uh, is diminished. And the story of the people of Israel reflects that the experience of the individual uh, on a national scale. What was, what's true of us as individuals was Israel's experience. The book of Deuteronomy is given to um, a people who have been redeemed, brought out of Egypt, brought into uh, to be God's people, and it's answering the question, how then must we live as a redeemed people? And in particular, the Lord warns them that as they go into the promised land, there will be two dangers especially that they will face. One will be the the pressure to compromise, to be conformed by the practices of the nations that inhabited the land of Canaan. That's obviously a, a recurring uh, temptation for us. And for that reason, they were to drive out the peoples of Canaan because they would otherwise be a snare to them. The other danger that is uh, one they, they must be aware of is the danger that uh, is painted in this chapter, the danger of forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. Once they're in possession of the land, once they become well off, they will be tempted to forget God and the fact that he is the one who's given them all that they have. And this morning we're going to think about the danger of forgetfulness. In particular, the danger of forgetting what we're taught in the wilderness experiences of life. So our three headings this morning are, first of all, one, we meet with God in the wilderness. We meet with God in the wilderness. Second, uh, that the lessons taught in the times of wilderness are often forgotten in times of plenty. And therefore, thirdly, we need to recall and apply throughout our Christian lives 
the lessons of the wilderness. We meet with God in the wilderness. In the Bible, the wilderness is frequently a place where there are significant encounters with God by the major characters in the Bible. I think of, of even some of those we've been looking at recently. Hagar and her meeting with God in the wilderness, in her flight from Sarah and from Abraham. Jacob uh, and his vision at Bethel and then his wrestling with the angel of the Lord. Moses at the burning bush and then at Sinai. Elijah in the midst of his exhaustion. David in his years as a fugitive. Think of John the Baptist uh, who purposefully goes into the wilderness that the people might be drawn out into the wilderness to be confronted by God. Verse 2, when it says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. The word led is important. It does not mean that God saw a bunch of people wandering about in the desert and so he gave them guidance. It means that God purposefully led the people into the wilderness. He directed them here uh, because he had a good reason for them to be in the wilderness for 40 years. And the reason is given to us. Verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So these are the two purposes for which the people were led into the wilderness. It was humbling and it was testing. To humble them and to test them. Israel, first of all, had to be humbled in the desert. She had to acknowledge that she was utterly dependent upon her God and that she could find no good thing apart from him. For her to acknowledge that, she needed to be humbled. You know, in the, in the desert, it's stating the obvious, isn't it, that the great lack is water. Uh, deserts are usually defined as places uh, that have less than 10 inches of water per annum. And when rain does fall, which it does uh, from time to time, then the desert can actually become a, a very attractive place. Uh, you have uh, seeds always lying dormant in desert places, which when the, the rains do come, uh, give rise to what are known as ephemeral plants. So very quickly they will spring up and there will be a, a lovely burst of colour in a desert area. But of course the rains last for a very short time and they wither away very, very quickly. And there is no great storage of water. Uh, the groundwater uh, is uh, non-existent, or if it is, then it is uh, too deep for boreholes. The creeks run dry very quickly. In our wanderings, Israel would rely on a God who can provide water in the wilderness. Water from the rock or sweet water, drinkable water from uh, brackish, salty water. And this dependence upon God to provide water was going to prepare the way for life in Israel because Israel was different from the land they had come from. 
Uh, Israel was a land which wasn't irrigated by great waters like the Nile, uh, but it was dependent upon God sending the rain from the heavens. In chapter 11, verse 10, uh, the Lord says, The land that you're entering is not like Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys. It drinks uh, in uh, rain from heaven. It's a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. So the promised land will, will be a land flowing with milk and honey, but not because it has natural resources of water like Egypt, but because the Lord will cause the rains to fall in it, they will be dependent upon the Lord who watches the land from the beginning of the year to its end. They will be dependent on the Lord. Now, in this life, our principal lesson is to learn that the world in itself has no waters that will satisfy the deep needs of our lives. The waters that we so often look to, the waters of this world, uh, our health, our youth, our family, uh, the good regard of others, success, all these things may come our way and they may be attractive for a time, but like the flowers that spring up and fade in the desert, they are gone tomorrow. They don't last. They don't last. And if we're going to find something that really satisfies the inner longings of our heart, it will come from out with the wilderness. It will come from God himself who provides living water. That's the lesson of the wilderness. And God leads us into the wilderness to learn that lesson. It's brought home to us in times of hardship. We go through a time when everything seems to fall apart and we're brought to acknowledge our need of the Lord. The Lord humbles us to acknowledge that he alone can satisfy. Now, I don't know what a poll of our, our testimonies uh, this morning would throw up. But it's interesting when you ask people how they came to be Christians. Uh, there's a remarkable similarity. Very often hardship figures in it. Uh, people will say, life was, was I was going through a, a really hard patch in life, and then they'll maybe talk about, uh, you know, maybe illness, or being made redundant, uh, or some major disappointment. Maybe they were struggling with something, maybe it was a, an alcohol or a drug addiction. Uh, something really went badly wrong. And they recognized that they were helpless and they begin, began to think of God again. And then they'll say very often, and, and so I went to church, I went back to church again. And then the things that had gone so badly wrong uh, became history. Things were okay, but I kept on going to church and eventually I trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a very, very a common kind of testimony. 
The Lord will use hardship. He will use wilderness experiences to humble us. That we may acknowledge we need Jesus. We can't make it ourselves. We don't have the water within us. The world will not provide the water that satisfies our souls. And therefore we start thinking, where can I find this living water? And only God can give us that water. So God sends us the wilderness experience to humble us, first of all. To bring us to our knees that we might acknowledge God. It's not surprising, is it, that it's, it's these times of life that people come to Christ. People don't often uh, seek God when things are, are going really, really well. You know, uh, people who just won the lottery or X Factor tend not to be the people who, who seek God. They may come crashing down afterwards and God uh, may uh, work in their lives in the crash afterwards. But it's in the times of hardship, it's in the wilderness, having humbled us, that people meet with the living God. What about testing? Well, wilderness experiences can act as x-rays to show us the truth that often is obscured by the front that we put on. Um, Moses says that the wilderness test, the wilderness experience was to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So it's what in your heart that the wilderness shows. When things, when the, when the wheels fall off, then it's much harder to pretend. When we're going through times of ease and comfort, we can say what Christians are supposed to say, that Jesus means more to me than anything else. We can say that and we can live like non-Christians, actually valuing the opinion of others, the success of our family, our, our appearance and our health. These things can actually be more important to us than they should. And then the Lord sends a wilderness experience along and we're tested. We're exposed. The reality is there. Our double standards are shown to be what they are. And that's why we have a warning in Israel, uh, to, a warning to Israel against forgetting the lessons of the wilderness in times of plenty. Uh, verses 7 to 9, there are a lovely uh, set of verses which are a hymn-like, a hymn to the land, as it were. This beautiful land that the Lord is leading to them. It's a land where there will be wheat and barley in abundance, grapes and figs, pomegranates and oils and honey, and minerals in abundance, minerals in the, the, the field, in the, the rocks and the hills. A land where bread will not be scarce, and you will lack nothing. And yet, it's when there is plenty in life and everything is falling into their laps, food is abundant and life is easy, that the danger is that they'll forget. They'll not remember. They'll forget. They'll forget the Lord. And in particular, they'll forget the lessons that the Lord taught them in the wilderness, i.e. God's enough. They'll forget the lesson. Now that's, of course, to forget God isn't to, to, to say that you suddenly uh, forgot that God exists. 
Uh, it's not merely a mental thing. It's an ethical thing. It's a practical thing. It's whether or not we live to please God. Uh, again, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees. <clears throat> if God's not in the fore of our thinking, if we're not remembering, if we're not reflecting on his dealings with us, bringing him to, to mind, then we're going to live uh, regardless of his commandments, pleasing ourselves. And this being comfortable, being well off, will be a snare to the Israelites. They'll be tempted, first of all, to be proud. Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. See, the lesson of the wilderness was God was their liberator. Uh, he led them out of Egypt. He was their leader. He guided them through an inhospitable wasteland. But that's in the past. Today, we've got everything. Absolutely everything. Inside toilets, running water, bread aplenty. Life is good. And the temptation is to forget God. And the temptation is to be proud. The temptation is to think that this, this plenty is actually down to me. And Israel starts talking of hard-working families instead of the keeping and providing God. They'll say, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. And again, this is we're thinking last, last Sunday, when we drift from our first love, we move from a position of feeling dependent upon the Lord to an attitude of being self-reliant, self-sufficient. I can get through this. And forgetful of God. So that's one of the, the great dangers. If we forget God, we'll be proud. We'll be proud. We'll become uh, susceptible to thinking that the good that we have in our lives is down to us and our hard work, our conscientiousness and all the rest of it. We won't acknowledge God. And Moses says also that there's a danger of idolatry. That will, instead of honouring God, will honour something else. Instead of giving him the credit for all the good that we have, we will credit something else. And in so doing that, we will make that thing an idol. So thirdly, because, because this is the way life is, because this is the natural tendency to remember when things are hard and forget when things are comfortable. Because that's true of all of us. You and I need to intentionally bring to mind the lessons of the wilderness when things are going well for us. <coughs> what does that entail? <coughs> it entails, first of all, having a biblical attitude towards suffering, hardship. When God brings us through wilderness times, we shouldn't resent them. We shouldn't become bitter against God. This passage is teaching us, for one thing, that suffering is a mark of our sonship 
Hebrews has the same lesson. Suffering is a mark of our sonship. It's not something to simply get through and forget. It's something to grow through. Know then in your heart. In other words, learn that lesson. Not simply externally, but deep within. Know in your heart. That as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Why am I going through this really tough time? Because I have a loving father who wants to strengthen me in areas he knows I'm weak. Why is he testing me? Is he wanting to break me? No. The very opposite. He wants to strengthen me. He is relating to me now as a loving father. He's demonstrating his concern for me in the most practical way. This is not to be resented. This is to be seen as God working in my life. And it's evidence that I'm a son, that I'm a daughter of the living God. And so we ask ourselves, what are the lessons that I'm to learn from this trial in my life. The experience of the wilderness is actually not what we often make out to be a rejection by God. It's an affirmation. God is affirming us when he disciplines us, tests us. He's affirming you as his daughter, as his son. How do we know that? Well, because it tells us here. But also because this is what happened to Jesus. You remember when Jesus was affirmed in the Jordan at his baptism? Remember the, the, the spirit coming down in visible form as a dove? And then the voice, the visible voice from heaven, from the Father. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. It's an affirmation of his sonship. Then what happened? Was Jesus sent uh, to five-star accommodation? Jesus was sent into the wilderness to be tested. The Spirit led him. Same idea as with Israel. Led him into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, Jesus, drawing heavily on Deuteronomy, overcame the enemy and triumph. And if Jesus was tested and knew his affirmation as a son in this way, ought we to expect any different way? Of course not. And also, friends, think of this. As Jesus was tested in the wilderness and triumphed, he not only did it for himself, but he did it for us. Every season of Jesus' life, we are united to by faith through the Holy Spirit. Jesus triumphed. He emerged the victor, attended by angels, and then on the cross, where he goes as our substitute. What does he wear on his brow? He wears the thorns of the desert. And he knows his experience of sonship blacked out for a time. That we might be brought into the most blessed consciousness of our sonship to God. So in all of our testings, 
in all of our wilderness experiences, it's the inheritance of the Christian to cry out instinctively, Abba, Father. <clears throat> wilderness times therefore are good times. We cannot do without them because they bring us near to God. And in prosperity, we need to remember them. We need to remember the lessons and we need to apply them. And we need to do that so practically. <coughs> we need to be healthily sceptical of the worth of times of plenty. So, when uh, we do well at work and we are rewarded for our work or promoted in the workplace, we learn to say, thank you, Lord. But this is not my peace. And when we look in our family with delight and take joy in them, we remind ourselves that we have one in heaven who is the lover of our soul. And when life is comfortable, we remember that we've got nothing that we did not receive. And it could all be taken away. And if indeed it was taken away, we tell ourselves we could bear that. And we could bear it well. Because Jesus is more precious. And nothing can take us from him. We remind ourselves of these things. We seek not to be forgetful in times of prosperity. John Newton, uh, who of course wrote Amazing Grace, uh, was somebody who had a, a godly upbringing. He had a, a Christian mother who taught him well until she died when he was age of seven, but he had a very uh, sordid career, he became involved in the slave trade, uh, became so low that he effectively became a slave to one of the other uh, slave traders. And in his autobiography, what's remarkable is that he consistently recounts the fact that he forgot the lessons of the wilderness. Time and time again, he forgot his mother gave him godly instruction. He forgot his mother's training. Then when he was a boy of 12, he was thrown from a horse and almost killed. At the time, the near approach of death made a great impression on him. But he says, I soon forgot. Some years later, when he was a sailor, he had agreed with some friends to row out to a British warship, which was anchored in the harbour. But he was unexpectedly detained and his friends left without him. The boat capsized, and they were all drowned. He missed being in that boat by five minutes and couldn't swim. He wrote, I went to the funeral and was exceedingly affected. But this also I soon forgot. Then he had a dream on one occasion when uh, with tremendous vividness, he saw himself falling under the wrath and the judgment of God. At that time, Newton says, the dream made a powerful impression on him. But he said, I totally forgot it. And then, of course, he became involved in the slave trade, enslaved by traders eventually. Then finally, in a great storm at sea, when he and the whole ship's crew thought that they were going to drown, the Lord laid hold of him, uh, convicted him and he cried out for God's mercy he would write of that day that day is a day much to be remembered by me 
and I have never suffered it to pass unnoticed since the year 1748. For that day, March 10, 1748, the Lord came from on high and delivered me out of deep waters. Then he became a minister of the gospel in the parish of Olney, uh, wrote his famous hymns, and above his mantelpiece in his study, he had painted uh, on the plaster of the wall a verse from Deuteronomy, not from Deuteronomy 8, the chapter we're looking at, but chapter 15, verse 15. But the, the application, the, the intention is the same. But, the verse reads, Thou shalt remember that thou wast a bond slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. When he was an old man, he once said to a Christian friend he met in the street, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. I am a great sinner, and that Christ is a great saviour. Remember the lessons of the wilderness. Maybe some of us are going through a kind of wilderness experience of some kind. Something in your life is very hard to bear. We're to remember that God uses this to teach us and that the experience is actually an affirmation of his love for us, his fatherly care for us, that we might be strengthened. And then for those of us who are not going through such a tough time, when we're in easier times, the challenge is to remember what God taught us when he brought us through the wilderness. He is enough. God is enough. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, how, how dreadful it is that we are susceptible to forgetting you. Forgive us that we can do such a monstrous thing let other things which are so trivial and fleeting crowd you out and cause us to forget your benefits. We thank you that you bring us through hardships not to, to ruin us, but to bring us to yourself and to strengthen us and to teach us. And Lord, help us to be more reflective than we are, to consider your providences in our lives, that we might grow through them and not be forgetful, even when life is comfortable. In Jesus' name we ask.